the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Good day. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. It's an interesting time of the year as we're pre-holiday, but not quite there. Minds are starting to drift to Black Friday as we see the advertisements come out. They are there. I saw Walmart just released theirs today. And hey, stop the clocks. Wait one second. Walmart's at an all-time high. That's an odd one. Like, whoa. Apple just hit an all-time high. Like, you can go through the list. Disney hit an all-time high. Disney was weird trading yesterday. Stock market's 10-year run has become the best bull market ever this month, returning 468%. We got a big seminar coming up tonight in Burlingame. Good chance to meet myself and CFP Chad Burton, along with a crew of CFPs. If you have any financial questions, they will be there, as well as a real estate person. But let's bring in CFP Chad Burton real quickly. Um, to talk a little bit about money and investing and preview portfolio construction that you're going to be talking about tonight in Burlingame. People can go to newfocusfinancial.com to sign up for tonight's fit. Chad, how are you? Good. And you just hit it, I mean, perfectly. You just talked about a 400% plus return since the since March of 2009 when the Great Recession kind of bottomed out, right? Yep. And it's a perfect example of anybody that, you know, maybe they sold in 2008 or whatever, thinking, oh, I, I missed the bottom, and then they never got back in. They tried to time the market. They missed out on dividends and interest because when you're invested in a balanced portfolio, your portfolio is typically yielding 2.5%, that that income is going to come in no matter what the stock market is doing. So as soon as you go to cash, you lose out on that income. And if you set up your portfolio correctly, you won't ever have to be forced to sell, and that's when you make mistakes. If if you go through a market cycle and you either panic and sell because you just can't handle it, and that typically means you're not you know educated on how the market works, okay. um, or you have to sell because you need to put food on the table and pay your expenses, those are the two times where you make massive long-term mistakes that you can really never recover from. Wow. So the whole idea of portfolio construction is how do you go through retirement to make sure that when those bad years come, you have a plan to live off of your cash and your income. And you have plenty of cash and income so that the stocks, if they go through a cycle from peak down to trough, back up to recovery, that you're not selling in the meantime, that you let things recover. And in the meantime, they're paying you dividends and interest and you move on. And uh, 70% of the time, you're peeling gains and loving life. 30% of the time, you're like, okay, well, we're we're going through a correction mode, and I've, I've got to live off my bonds and my income, or my cash and my income. I'm sure glad there's people like you who like doing this, because it gives me a little bit of a headache to talk about income and portfolio construction. It's more fun to talk about Disney hitting all-time highs, if that makes any sense, but I digress. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot easier to, to fall in love with a stock and buy something, right? The hardest part is knowing when to sell. Well said. And so if you have... 
Yeah, if you have a plan for a percentage of your portfolio or a specific dollar amount that should be in cash and a specific amount that should be in growth versus defensive, basically stocks versus bonds, you, you create lines in the sand where you have to sell if one of those is off. So if your cash goes down because you've spent some of it, but the market's up, that means you need to sell and replenish your cash. Your three years' worth of portfolio draw should be in cash, and if you go six months into it and the market rallies, then you should sell some of those gains to replenish some of your cash. Um, and so it, it's, it takes away the emotional part of selling, which is really what gets people in trouble. Interesting. So what if somebody has uh, is way more conservative and they're watching a bull market and it must get a little frustrating. What are your thoughts on the people who are a little bit too conservative with what's happening with the growth in the market? Yeah, and it's, gosh, I was just talking about this the other day, because when I got in the business 25 years ago, the average portfolio in retirement was 40% stocks, 60% bonds, and now it's kind of switched, because okay. income is so low on bonds and CDs. So people are taking a little bit more risk, which is fine, as long as they have the three years worth of portfolio draws in cash, and they, they follow a strict rebalancing strategy. But it, so a lot of times you see there's really not a if you have the three years worth of portfolio draws in cash so if you have all of your expenses minus your automatic income like social security pension sometimes rental income um, and so that that difference the the amount left over that's how three years worth of that in cash if typically if the rest of the money is more than sixty five percent growth thirty five percent defensive you're probably taking more risk than you really need to in retirement uh, it's really not that necessary and it it, it but then some people go through their risk tolerance questionnaires and, and spend some time thinking about risk, and they're way more conservative than that. And, okay, that's fine. If you're way more conservative and your risk tolerance can only handle, let's say, 30 40% in stocks, um, plus your three years' expenses in cash, okay, fine. But if what rate of return do you need to be successful? If you've saved a ton of money and you're only living off 2 or 3% of your income, that's fine. Be more conservative. You can wait out this low interest rate environment and you know because you're going to be in CDs and treasuries and certain types of bonds. But inflation is your boogeyman. Um, but if that same person didn't save a ton of money and they're still drawing you know, 4 to 5% of their portfolio to live at age 65, it's, they're going to run out of money if they're not getting enough growth in their portfolio. So they need to maybe need to, to look at some bond alternatives where you take some of that bond money and you, you know, put it into a no-load variable annuity product where you can have half of it invested in stocks. So there's going to be principal fluctuation, but you pass the income uh, risk off to an insurance company, and you can get 4 to 5% of your money as long as you live. So if the count goes to zero at age 85 and you're going to still live another 15 years, the insurance company kicks in and pays you. So it's a trade-off. It's where are you in your risk tolerance? What rate of return do you need to achieve that, your goals? Um, sometimes, Rob, maybe it's better that a person um, pays off a mortgage, even though it may make sense tax-wise, but they don't have the risk tolerance to, to have a certain amount of money in stocks. Okay. Maybe they pay off their mortgage to reduce their outflow risk, and it makes them feel better. And then it allows them to take a little bit more risk with their portfolio because they're like, hey, my house is paid off. I have no more mortgage. My expenses are way lower. So it's everybody's different. That's why I love this. It keeps it exciting. Everybody's a little bit different. Everybody's plan is a little bit different. The overall strategy remains the same, but everybody has a few minor tweaks. 
True that, true that, true that. We've got about two minutes left. Big event coming up tonight in Burlingame. People can learn more by going to newfocusfinancial.com. Sign up for the event using the code radio25. If you haven't been to an event uh, previously, ton of information there. One last quick question. Is a structured note, is a structured note a bond alternative? A lot of people don't even know what structured notes are. More bonds. Yeah, so stru- yeah. And there's a lot of different types of structured notes. The one that retirees might take a look at is a actually FDIC insured structured note CD. Okay. And so you can, you know, basically any of the fixed income departments at, you know, TD, Fidelity, Schwab, you can get a listing of these things. And so if a retiree has set aside some of their safe money and they don't need income from it, let's say you're, you're you know, five years out from retirement and you've listened to me and you say, okay, have your safe money already set aside five years prior to retirement, but you've got three to five years before you're ne- going to need to tap that at all, you can look at a structured note CD where, you know, right now CDs are paying like 2%. Structured note CDs might give you 30 to 40% of the upside of a couple of different stock market indexes with no risk, where, and, and they're FDIC insured. So if the market over that period of time is negative, you just get Thanks. your money back. But if it's positive by 10%, you might get 4 or 5%. Got to go. Thanks very much. It's CFP Chad Burton. We'll see you tonight in Burlingame. People can learn more at newfocusfinancial.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Big event tonight. I wanted to talk about the stock market, but Chad wanted to promote the event. That's the conflict that I'm in. Um, I think it's important to stop and say, this is an amazing stock market, and it's created a ton of wealth. And one of the things that terribly, terribly upsets me are people who think the stock market's rigged, because it's not. And with Schwab and TD Ameritrade and others all cutting commissions to zero to buy stocks, I, I, n- that may be a sign that it's not the time to get in because the time to get in was when they were expensive to buy stocks. I, I'm not sure if I'm making sense. I'm just saying it's kind of amateur hour right now. And what I mean by that is Schwab's saying they're opening a record number of accounts. So they go to zero and free, and people are looking at it as, well, now this is my time to get in on that wealth. I don't know if that's really what's happening, but it's something along those lines. Stock markets, I think, could rally another 2 3 4% going into the end of the year, but it's been a good year. Talking to people like CFP Chad Burton yesterday, off hours, we do wonder when, when things are going to slow down, So because it's normal. We used to get a recession every four to eight years, typically like tied towards presidential cycles. One would be smaller, one would be bigger. We would see market corrections on a pretty regular basis, yearly, 10%. This market, though, holy mackerel. And maybe that's why people like Elizabeth Warren are, are trying to get votes, because we're all freaked out looking at it. It's like staring at the sun. The current market boom, it started March 9th. It's up 468%. Holy mackerel. And it's climbing. The record long bull run is the best performing one since the World War II. 
the war to end all wars, the mighty war, the great war. Are you with me against me? Um, it's pretty stunning. But if you look back in history, in the 1950s, we saw around 1950. Some of it was a little bit before. A 454% run on the market. Just year over year over year over year. And then in late 50s, 115% run. In the early 60s, 101% run. A 59% run. An 89% run. An 88% run. Then you get up to 1980 and you see an 87% run. Reagan gets elected up 391%. Back when Clinton took office, up 63%. George Bush Jr., up 121%. Obama and Trump up 468%. And I'm just trying to show you, I'm not, not trying to give the credit to the presidents. I'm saying, look at those different eras. It's pretty consistent. Massive run in 2010, massive run in the 2000s, massive run in the 90s, two massive runs in the 90s, two massive runs in the 80s, three massive runs in the 70s. So I, I, I can't take you telling me that the stock market's too crazy for you because it's so consistent. It, the odds of you losing your luggage, I can get you being violently insane about that. I can get it. I understand now, how, how much further do we have to go? I'll tell you, one company t- gives me optimism. I like the way I said optimism. I think I threw an extra syllable into it. Optimism. Walmart's climbing today, hitting all-time highs. And they're the stock that's giving me a little bit of faith. Walmart reported better than expected bottom line earnings. Now, why would Walmart give me faith? Is it because poor people shop there? <laughs> No, it's because low-income people shop there. That's the politically correct way of saying it. Internal editor on. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We can call Walmart the low-cost retailer. We can call Apple the high-end gadget maker that everyone wants. You can kind of label things. There's There's nowhere cheaper to go than Walmart. Sometimes we go, okay, well, in a tough economy, I'm going to go from hypothetically, Banana Republic, to buy and close at the Gap. And then in a tougher market, I'm going to go from the Gap to Old Navy. See how um, see how Gap set up the, those three businesses? High-end, middle, low-end. Interesting. Profit margins at Walmart were better than expected. They had some problems with, with foreign currencies, which is nice because getting bad news out of the way sets up for a quarter a surprise in the future for the positive, not the negative. The foreign currency hit was large at a billion dollars. That's a big hit to foreign currency devaluation, right? Now, they do $129 billion in quarterly sales this quarter. That's a stunning number. I don't own shares of Walmart except for in indexes like the S&P 500. I've never really wanted to own Walmart. I've always wanted to own Amazon. Because I sit there and I, I, I'm a snob. Now, at one point in time, I owned Gap back in the 90s. I don't want that many retailers. My best play on retail is Visa or MasterCard. And they're both publicly traded. But Walmart and Amazon are engaged in a bitter competition. Um, annual sales at Walmart, over $500 billion. Annual sales at Amazon, $235 billion. 
So Walmart's much bigger. Almost, yeah, double in sales. At one point in time, when I was doing this radio show 20 years ago, at one point in time, I'd say Walmart's bigger than number two, three, four, and five put together in retail. That was before Amazon really got their, their gears going. Walmart's pushing into e-commerce, and they saw online sales grow 41% year over year. But that's off a very low number. Will Walmart ever get to the point that they're relevant to Amazon as far as a website that you go to on Black Friday? Or is Walmart, and again, Walmart used to be one of my favorite stories because I could get on radio and spend 15 minutes talking about the Black Friday and how I was at home watching the news, drunk, stuffed with turkey after Thanksgiving, just just bloating on the couch. And sure enough, the 11 o'clock news comes on and someone ran over someone and killed them at Walmart because they're trying to get to a cheap TV. I love stories like that. People killing each other for, for uh, gadgets. Only, I'm not going to say only in America, because that's probably not true, right? S&P 500 is up 26% this year. Sitting at all-time highs. I'm going to end this segment with that thought. Now, again, I know people are like, real estate is the best investment I've ever made. Okay, I get that you did well with real estate with very little down. I get it. But it's also leveraged where that changes the formula. That changes the comparison. Stock market's up 26. If you did leverage on the stock market and bought options, you'd be up about 300% this year. Like That's not something I recommend, because that's when you start getting a short-term trading mentality. Not my thing. But congratulations to the S&P 500 for having the biggest bull market in history. Please come out and celebrate with me tonight in Burlingame at the seminar, 6.30 to 8.30. You can learn more by going to robloxshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Last segment, I talked a little bit about Walmart and how I jokingly said poor people shop there, and it gives me a good tell. Then I was like, no, I should, I should be honest. It's, it's about lower-income shoppers, but it's also a lot about, about a lot of shoppers. I couldn't give that kind of example on TV without really upsetting the audience. Sarcasm is lost in television. Irreverence is lost in television. Just so you know, I model my career off a couple people. Uh, Jim Rome from Sports. Um, when I started doing radio 25, 23 years ago, uh, Jim Rome did a radio show. So I'm coming out of college roughly. And at that point in time, I cared about sports. Don't care at all anymore. As you get older, as I got older, I, I just, I lost the interest in rooting for other people. I'd rather root for me and my family, so to speak. So Jim Rome did, I think probably the greatest interview ever. At one point in time, he's interviewing the quarterback of the Rams named Jim Everett. And he just taunts him. During his radio show and television show, he would call him Jim Everett. He'd call him Chris Everett, the tennis, female tennis player. It's like, he had a bad game to like Chris Everett. So he gets Jim Everett on his TV show, and he goes, and this is searchable on YouTube. It's Jim Rome. I think his show is called Rome is Burning. 
And uh, it goes, so Chris, uh, what are you doing in the offseason now that your season's over? Something along those lines. And Jim Everett, he's, he's a big football player. He's a quarterback, but he's big. He says, call me Chris one more time. And he does, and he punches him. And I was like, that's crazy. That's I think that's where Zach Galifianakis got the whole between two ferns thing um, from that interview. Because Zach Galifianakis is it's the, between two ferns is the most offensive questions anyone could possibly a- ask um, of actors, and it's it's great. It's, it's if you if you're in on the joke, it's amazing. I love that little uh, funnier die segment. And the Netflix movie wasn't. I I got through it. It certainly wasn't something I'm I. I'm ha- I would have gone on if I'd spent 20, 30 bucks taking the family. No way. <laughs> no. But um, another person I based my character off of is probably, um, I don't take myself serious, like Ron Burgundy from Anchorman. And that, that movie resonates with what TV is really, really like. Um, a lot of my presentation comes from Dave Letterman because he was influential to me when I was in high school. Um, I would be lying if I didn't say Rick Edelman was an influence in my media career because he was one of the very first people who talked about saving for retirement in a very human way. So hats off to him. Now, someone that I don't much care for is Fisher. I don't have to spend too much time on this other than to tell you that my industry has got some problems. I think all industries have problems. I think there's bad mechanics. I think there's bad accountants. But the head of... Fisher had one great interaction. He has gotten into a lot of trouble with giving a speech. In this day and age, you can't say anything too controversial like I did last segment because it could come back used against you in context and out of context as well. But Ken Fisher asked women to appear in ads about his firm, and a lot of them weren't happy. Because a couple months ago, he went out of his way to make some really stupid comments about how the financial planning world is really all about kind of seducing. It's just, it's like how you get a client's like how you seduce a woman. And he used a little bit more graphic terms than that removal of clothing. Um, and women at his firm were pretty upset that like he asked us to be in ads to support him. Over 800 workers, 63% of the sales force at Fisher are women. And um, I don't know. The guy's been, he's up there in age. Let's, let's start with that. And if you were to talk to my mother and father 30 years ago, long after the 60s and 70s, but into the 80s and 90s, they probably had some racist commentary. Both my parents grew up in the South, and um, it's just times have changed. And like Fisher, see, here's the interaction that I had with him, and this is why he needs to go. About 10 years ago, I'm uh, maybe 12 years ago, I'm getting a beer with a friend, and I'm actually doing a, a meet and greet at a brewery in Burlingame. And um, a meet and greet is for the radio audience there. Hey, I'll be there. You can drop your portfolio off, have a beer with me, say hello. I kind of want to get to know the audience a little bit. I'll take a look at your portfolio for free. So I'm at a a brewery, and uh, his sales force were having a get-together. And he flew a lot of his sales force in from around the country. And these young men were the most arrogant, 
pieces of poop I've ever heard in my life. Talking about how big they're, you know, I'm going for the big accounts and I don't care about the small accounts. And you could see that his culture rubbed off on them or he hired his culture. And it's unfortunate because his sales force, I got on the air the next day and I was like, these guys were, I hate to use the word douchebags. Uh, I don't even know what a douchebag is, but technically it's not a good word. These guys were hmm, just aggressive salespeople, and they were young. And they were probably talking about conquests of clients and conquests of women and how they had all the money. So I talked about that on the air the next day, and Ken Fisher called me about a week later. So one of his staff had heard and reported to him. And when you get a call from a billionaire, it's pretty intimidating. He basically threatened to sue. Um, and I was like, I, I can stand behind the truth, Ken. And now 10, 15 years later, he gets into trouble for basically having a, a really aggressive sales mentality. Um, I want to do business with him. But then again, 10, 15, 20 years ago, like I said, my parents were saying stuff that w- would say stuff that was offensive. So, um, I don't know. Once again, it reminds me, please tell your children to be careful about any time their friends pull out their phones and start videotaping them. That's all I'm going to say. Motorola is bringing back the Razer as a $1,500 foldable smartphone. Oh, boy. Do we need that? Motorola used to make some pretty good phone hardware. Like, they were giving... They were the only people giving Apple a good run for their money. Um, I don't the foldable smartphone. This is gonna be like one of those things that I say on record that comes back to haunt me. Gary Dalabate, the producer from Howard Stern Show, at one point in time said, "The iPad is a bit of a mess." And at the time, it sounded like one of the dumbest things he could ever possibly say on air. So Howard Stern made fun of him. I think over time, the the iPad hasn't been all that we wanted it to be as far as the category goes, the tablet. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is, like, um, I don't want to go on record saying the foldable phone's a flop because that one will come back to bite me in the tushy. Big event tonight, by the way. I'm going to be talking about some stocks that I own. And I don't want to, like, say I was right, but you know how many years I talked about Disney Plus and how that was going to be a big event? Yesterday, Disney announced that they had 10 million subscribers to Disney Plus in basically the first day. And because of that, the stock popped 7%. And Disney is not a small company. Disney's a big company. So they just added billions of dollars of market cap. It was a press release. There's not a lot of information in it. We don't know if Mickey Mouse is in rehab. We don't know if attendance is good at parks. We There's a lot of stuff we don't know. Oh, and best part about the whole Disney thing, you know, I'm talking about how 20, 30 years ago, my parents would probably say some off-color remarks. Um, Disney had to put warnings on a lot of their videos. Like, the representation of African Americans in this cartoon is not indicative of our, our beliefs. Because 20, 30 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, you could make fun of groups of people. I remember one of the very first times I saw, I think it was a Mickey Mouse cartoon. It was when he was like evil Mickey Mouse. Like he was very dark. Like, hey, kids, yeah! But um, I think he saw a cigarette. Maybe it was Woody Woodpecker or something. But 
and all the characters had funny names like Nick Oteen. Um, where if you see it today, you're like, whoa, are they pushing cigarettes? Or did they know that message was addictive back then? I don't know. But yeah, so Disney had to come out and get in front of that and say, so the characterizations, like uh, some people were showing Steamboat Willie, who was the, the character Mickey Mouse was based off of. And if you watch it, it's very upsetting. Uh, it's, it's almost as if Mickey and Woody Woodpecker back in those days had mental diseases. Because they talked really, really fast. But now I'm digressing. Uh, just interesting to see uh, people were taking nostalgic pictures of their kids taking a look at old Cinderella and not the new one that we're getting. And they're like, whoa, animation wasn't that good. So Peloton's going to start selling a cheaper treadmill and rowing machine in 2020. That's not good news. Company's working on a new treadmill that will cost less than the current $4,000 model, as well as a rowing machine. Their bike, eh, no comment on that one. So they're trying to obviously stimulate rowing and jogging. But the bike, they're good on, they think. Peloton also has explored apps for Amazon.com's Fire TV and Apple Watch to complement its smartphone software. So they're trying to do what they can to get in the news and get in the media. Mm, not for me. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Big event tonight. You can meet me in person in Burlingame. Bring a copy of your portfolio. We'll take a look at it. You can find, sign up at Rob Black Show. And it's in Burlingame. I'll see you there tonight, 630 to 830. More information at robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. So... I've got a different perspective, you know, and that's one of the things I'm focusing in on this hour. When I was talking with CFP Chad Burton in the first segment, we talked a little bit about, I said, do you like being a CFP? Because I, I certainly wouldn't want to do what he does. He goes, oh, everyone's so different. It's so great. Everyone is so different, right? I talked about how I was raised. I was raised by parents from the South. I can cook uh, really well. But my perspective is going to be different than yours. My perspective growing up of having a dad who died 20-plus years ago, 25 years roughly, um, I saw him work till the day he died. I don't really want to do that. So just know that perspectives are very different. I grew up in a what I would refer to as a lapsed Catholic family. So my father had six kids. I was the fifth one. So I was late in the cycle, right? And my oldest brother got caught selling marijuana back in the 70s when it was not cool to get caught selling marijuana. And he was an Eagle Scout. And my dad was a squeaky clean member of the U.S. Army, probably a lieutenant colonel at that point in time or something like that. And uh, the newspaper <clears throat> had Eagle Scout Black sells dope or something like that. And my dad's perspective in life changed forever. He kind of checked out. So I have a lot of understanding of perspective, I think. Everything I've ever learned, I've learned in a book. I, I, I think that's a fair statement. I learned how to love in a book. I learned how to invest in a book. I learned that I don't want to work till the day I die from seeing my dad work till the day I die. But how do I want to live? Like in a book. One of the things that still haunts me a little bit is Social Security. 
it's an image that I don't really feel terribly comfortable with getting a social security check. I know that when I was in my early years, like in my teens, I thought people who were on social security were like old widows. I didn't really have a kind of a concept of it, right? I knew that there was some sort of perk when you work your whole life, you get money. Or if you're a widow or an orphan, you get money. Like I, that's, And I thought Medicare was going to be free. It's not. So your whole life you work for someone and they help provide inco- uh, they help provide income, which part of their perk sometimes is healthcare, right? Social security is one of those ones that it baffles me because we're living longer and our perspective has to change. I'm financially set for life. If I wasn't, I'd probably have a couple fewer pounds on my body because I'd be knowing that I'm gonna have to work till the day I die. So a lot of people take Social Security way too early because they look at it as free money, and they don't look at it as income. If I were to tell you you can take a job and earn $14,000, or if you if you keep patient, you can earn $24,000. The right age to take retirement, the full retirement age, has changed in history, and I kind of expect it to change again. So the age to receive full security benefits continues to eke up. And I get a lot of questions about it. Individuals delay claiming benefits past their full retirement age stand to get an extra 8% per year. So the people who take Social Security when they're 62, they show me typically that they're not financially savvy or that they expect to die early. Only 80% of promised benefits will be payable by 2035 if nothing is done to shore up Social Security. So 2035, that's 15 years from now. That's not that long. To fix that 15-year time bomb, where we're going to have to be sending more and more money to keep the system afloat, which means less for the military, less for social benefits, less for roads, right? The pot's going to get smaller. To fix that, politicians will face either raising taxes or reducing benefits or making you wait longer to get your money, which in theory it is your money because for most people, you've put Social Security taxes in from your paycheck. So I get the email question a lot on when should I take my retirement benefits? When Social Security first started, the average life expectancy was 17 years lower than it was today. So now, if women can expect to live to about 82, uh, white females live longer than black females. Black females, about 79. White males, about 76 is life expectancy. And for black males, 66. So let's just compare being a black male to a white female. 66 versus 82, 83. White females can live 16 years longer. Or we even use the black female. Let's say it's a black couple. She's going to live till almost 79. She's going to outlive her husband by 13 years. That's a long time. So that's a long time where you're going to run out of money. 
And again, Social Security, the difference between taking it at 62 and getting 12000 and everyone's different on what they're going to get because it's tied towards how much you earned in your lifetime and your, your best earning years. Um, or you can wait until you're 70 and get $24,000 a year. For the 70-year-old woman, that's a sizable amount of money, even though she's only going to live another 8, 13 years, roughly, on average. So don't necessarily run out and take Social Security early. There's a lot of thinking that you have to do before you uh, jump in and, and get that quote-unquote free money. I've got family, not blood family, that they look at it as free money. They took it the moment they could. Silly mistake. For our children, they're probably going to have to work till they're 70 just to get anything. Maybe 75 to get their big chunk of it back. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money invested more. You can find me alone at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.